Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to another episode of Education Matters presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Keith Poston. As you know, each episode we focus on a central topic. This week is one of the areas that the Public School Forum recently focused on in our 16th annual study group that looked at expanding educational opportunity. It's the subject of racial equity in education. We have three outstanding guests today to discuss this sometimes difficult yet incredibly important topic. Like every week before we tackle our main topic, we open with a segment we call Edlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. A legislative committee looking at school-based administrator pay met again last week to discuss the woeful state of principal pay in North Carolina. Today, their average salary ranks 50th out of 51 states in the District of Columbia. Some action to address the low pay seems likely in next year's long session at the North Carolina General Assembly. But many questions remain. How much? Will it be primarily incentive-based or will base salaries increase too? And how will it be allocated? We will keep you posted. Some North Carolina public schools will soon have more flexibility under a new Restart School program. The State Board of Education approved the request from 19 schools in three school districts, Cabarrus, Wake, and Warren. The schools will receive the same flexibility that charter schools now get. Leaders at those schools are considering potential changes for the 2017-18 school year, including longer school years, longer school days, and new programs to reduce class sizes. Finally, Dr. June Atkinson bid an emotional farewell at her final State Board of Education meeting last week as North Carolina's top school's chief. Dr. Atkinson spent 40 years at the North Carolina Department of Public Instruction, the past 11 as state superintendent. She lost her reelection bid to Mark Johnson of Winston-Salem, who will take over in January. Anyone who knows or has ever worked with June Atkinson knows how devoted she is to North Carolina's children. All of us at Education Matters and the Public School Forum thank you, June, for your dedication and leadership. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click Education Matters, and read more about each of the headlines, as well as the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the program, we're going to focus this week on racial equity in education. Our first guest today burst onto the national and international stage in May of this year when his poetic commencement address at the Harvard Graduate School of Education went viral. Here's a clip. At the core, none of us were meant to be common. We were born to be comets, darting across space and time, leaving our mark as we crash into everything. A crater is a reminder that something amazing happened right here, an indelible impact that shook up the world. Are we not astronomers searching for the next shooting star? I teach in hopes of turning content into rocket ships, tribulations into telescopes so a child can see their true potential from right where they stand. And injustice is telling them they are stars without acknowledging the night that surrounds them. Injustice is telling them education is the key while you continue to change the locks. Education is no equalizer. Rather, it is the sleep that precedes the American dream. So wake up, wake up, lift your voices until you've patched every hole in a child's broken sky. Wake up, every child, so they know of their celestial potential. I've been the black hole in a classroom for far too long, absorbing everything without allowing my light to escape. But those days are done. I belong among the stars, and so do you. And so do they. Together, 
Together, we can inspire galaxies of greatness for generations to come. So no, no, sky is not the limit. It is only the beginning. Lift off. We are honored to have Donovan Livingston with us here today. Uh, he is currently a PhD candidate at UNC Greensboro, where he is assistant director for uh, student mentoring. Um, and he is also, let's see, how did the, um, the uh, UNC Charlotte called you an internet celebrity educator? <laughs> so you've got a lot. Thank you for being here today, oh, thank Donovan. Thank you for having me so much. I'm glad to be here. All right, well, that clip we just showed, that whole video has been viewed 13 million times wow. since uh, May. I mean, that's unreal, yes. right? Yeah, it, it's still surreal to really think about how far the speech has come since, since I, I wrote it in my notebook and performed it on stage that afternoon. But I'm grateful for being able to extend the conversation about race and equity in education and what that looks like. Well, I, I do want to talk a little bit about that, about your path. I mean, uh, you and I are both from Fayetteville. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is yes, great. Sir. But you Fayetteville, UNC Chapel Hill, mm -hmm. then Columbia, then Harvard. Yep. So, yeah, I've been doing a lot in the last few years. <laughs> but, but now you're back home in North Carolina and you're at UNC Greensboro working on your PhD. So, mm -hmm. but I mean, talk to me a little bit about um, from the time that speech sort of sort of what happened in your life, sort of what, I mean, obviously this is kind of one of those transformative moments, I would think. It really is, and I, I think um, it's all rooted in my experience working with students, so it seems as if I've been in school my entire <laughs> professional life, but that's not necessarily the case. I've uh, worked primarily with first-generation, low-income, traditionally underrepresented students in higher education and helping them navigate the path from high school to college. And um, I would be remiss if I told my students to be their best selves and most authentic selves in every space in education, and I not do the same. And so that's why I went the route of doing a spoken word poem um, during my commencement remarks, and it really made for a more um, exciting experience when I came home. I felt... Um, felt good about coming back to North Carolina and kind of wrapping up my academic journey in a place that made me who I am. Well, it's been, it's been, it's been fun for all of us here in North Carolina to watch. I think mm -hmm. we're all pretty proud of, of everything you did. And, I, and look, I have to point out, you ended up just uh, a month ago in your hometown mm -hmm. introducing the President of the United States. That was, that was quite a whirlwind. Um, and it was on November 4th uh, of this year, which was the eight-year anniversary of President Obama's initial election. And with him being the first president I voted for, being in my hometown and being able to introduce him um, on that sort of stage leading into this year's election um, was a phenomenal sort of uh, life moment for me. And um, I'm grateful to have been able to have that opportunity. Well, let's shift gears. I mean, we're going to talk about racial equity on the whole show today, but I want to get into that with you a little bit. Okay. Um, um, I mean, we need to, I mean, you talked about it in your um, address about the idea of opportunities for, particularly for students of color. I mean, what is sort of your own life experience and sort of what, if, what sort of goes through your mind when you think about either the opportunity or lack thereof? Well, I think specifically about uh, our gifts, right? Every student has a unique set of talents, dispositions, things that make them who they are. And I think um, having an opportunity in uh, school spaces to be able to express that creativity is something that needs to happen. I think far too often um, we come to school and we have to stick to these sort of standardized measures of our success and our academic ability, but um, students need to see that their gifts that they have personally um, are valued. For me in, in particular, um, I wasn't always allowed to perform spoken word poetry or enjoy hip hop or bring that up in a sort of uh, academic space. Um, for whatever reason. And I feel like if students have that opportunity to see their gifts uh, mirrored uh, in the classroom, I think uh, it can make for a more equitable experience. And there's some structural issues, and we can talk about mm -hmm. that too within just education and really in society in general, but uh, I, you've talked a lot about just a one teacher. 
mm -hmm. uh, or a couple teachers. I mean, tell me about that. I mean, the, the difference a, the, a teacher in a, in a kid's life can make. Right. I think it all comes down to relationships. Uh, the willingness a teacher has to want to uh, go that extra mile and make that connection with the student to actually take a vested interest um, in the things that the student is interested in uh, will go a long way in getting the most out of that child in the long run. Now, um, we, we are going to talk about in the next segment things like um, discipline disparity, um, overrepresentation in special ed classes for students of color. You've had some life experiences seeing that yourself. I mean, do you, you, do you recognize um, and have any thoughts on sort of how we get at that in, in terms of, um, I don't know, changing attitudes, changing systems? Well, I feel like it could start with some form of professional development, helping uh, teachers, educators, anyone that works with young people um, learn how to um, sort of work with different people based on cultural differences. So um, really buying into this idea of making pedagogy culturally relevant. Um, it, it evokes a sense of patience and uh, helps you see the sort of value in that specific student. So you don't uh, become so quick to discipline them when you think uh, you're not getting the most out of them in a uh, classroom space. Right, and I think that's like there. We talk a lot about cultural sensitivity at the public school forum when we look at racial equity. Um, I mean, that, can you explain a little bit more what you mean when you talk about that? I mean, it's just the idea that look, we just don't necessarily always understand each other. I mean, there's differences, frankly, than the, the teaching workforce is predominantly female, predominantly white. Mm -hmm. um, so they're just they're just differences, right? Right. And our differences aren't something we should be afraid of, right? right. I, I feel like um, being able to use the classroom as a space to celebrate those differences is something that can be done and I think um, you know I think about what it means to be in school and for me I think about school being a space of self-discovery and if teachers can commit to making school um, a, a space of self-discovery where students can learn about themselves in addition to the content matter I think um, we'll buy into that sort of um, culturally relevant perspective that'll make uh, the experiences students have in school more equitable across the board. Are you, um, I mean, you strike me as someone who's optimistic, but I mean, but are you optimistic about these things? Because it seems like the ideas of uh, sort of racial adjusting, they're not a straight line up. Right. We, we have some zigzags. Oh, definitely. And I, I think um, a lot of the zigzags come when you tell students the truth. Um, schooling experiences don't exist in a vacuum, right? I believe that um, students need to be able to engage in dialogue and debate um, those current events that sort of surround their learning experiences, and they don't often get a chance to. Um, the Trump's election, for instance, has an impact on a student, whether uh, they're on one side of the argument or the other. And I think that being able to talk about those things and what it means and what the cultural repercussions are and sort of um, what, what, what can we do to move forward together um, is something that could take place in, in the classroom. And teachers had to be willing to and have you need to keep talking, too. So, but we appreciate you being here. Uh, thanks so much. When we will come back, we'll be joined by two more guests currently working in the area of racial equity and education. But first, as we go to break, see if you can answer this question. Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer 13%? Even though today just over 50% of North Carolina's public school children are black or Hispanic, just 13% of our teachers are. 
Joining us now are next are two guests who can tell us if those percentages matter. Um, we have James E. Ford, who is the program director at the Public School Forum of North Carolina, and we have Dr. Rodney Trice, who is the assistant superintendent for equity affairs, Wake County Public Schools. Thank That's you good. both for being here. James, I want to start with you. Um, you've been on the you were on the show a few weeks ago. We talked a little bit about some of these topics, but when we get at racial equity. There's some real specific areas of concern. Um, what are they? Well, I think you start with the fact that uh, North Carolina public schools have rapidly resegregated along both racial and socioeconomic lines. But even beyond that, you have discipline disparities within those schools. So students of color, black students, Native American in particular, are as many as four and a half times more likely to be suspended than their white counterparts. And for most the same of the time, offense, right? For the same, a lot of times for the same offenses right. or minuscule, what we call uh, discretionary offenses, things that aren't necessarily big deals. But beyond that, uh, students of color, black students in particular, are overrepresented in special education, particularly in the area of intellectual disability. And black and Hispanic students are underrepresented when it comes to rigorous courses and academically intellectually gifted students. So it, it, it denotes an issue of unfairness when it comes to the equality of educational opportunity in the schools. And couple that with what you just said with a, a pretty monolithic and uh, homogeneous teaching workforce, it just doesn't lead to very culturally responsive teaching, which gives every student from every background the best chance at success. So those are a couple main areas that we've seen that need some response. Now, Dr. Trice, in your role, you're, you're more or less the chief equity officer, if you will, for Wake County Public Schools. All these issues that James just talked about kind of fall in your uh, wheelhouse. I mean, where are you in Wake County and, um, and sort of what are your priorities and do you agree that these are the kinds of things that um, are prevalent not just in Wake but in um, schools across America? Sure, I think James hit it on the head. Uh, these are certainly areas that Wake County is working on. Uh, we have a strategic focus on many of the areas that James just mentioned, for instance, uh, providing access to rigor. Uh, we know that students of color, uh, no matter where they are, uh, tend to not have access to the most rigorous courses. Uh, so we have a strategic focus on increasing the number of students of color uh, in uh, higher level courses, such as honors courses, advanced placement courses, IB courses. And for us, uh, in, at least with respect to uh, recruiting, uh, making sure students are in higher level courses, it falls on along the lines of recruiting. Uh, we know that we have students in our classroom today uh, that can perform very well in those classes. Uh, but there's also a second layer to this issue, and that's increasing the pipeline of students of color who can take advantage of higher level courses on the back end. So that's just one example of some of the work that we're doing in Wake County around addressing the next. And that's interesting, you, you use the term access because in, in like here in Wake County, for example, where we filmed the show, I mean, there's obviously plenty of opportunity to take those courses, but you, you touched on an interesting thing. You've got on one hand, you may have some subjective things where students aren't being recommended. On the other hand, you've got students who maybe don't have the confidence. They haven't been instilled in them either at home or by their teachers who don't tell them that they're smart. Right. I mean, is that part of what you're talking about? Absolutely. So when we talk about recruiting students to uh, higher level courses, uh, we're talking about garnering the whole community to let students know, yes, you do have the capacity to do the work in higher level courses. So we're talking about pastors, coaches, mentors, you name it, uh, that can you know, really back uh, these students. Right, uh, James, let me ask you, um, implicit bias. Sure. I mean, that's one of the things that is pointed at um, in terms of why some children uh, of color are not being recommended. Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so that's becoming a more recognizable term, but really it deals with the sort of unconscious 
uh, biases that exist, the attitudes, the stereotypes that prevail within all of us, but more importantly, the way that that influences our actions. So you alluded earlier to the fact that uh, perhaps people may not respond very well to the notion of these gaps because it immediately implies something about us, right? Are we saying that uh, practitioners are racist? Right. And I think it's more complex than that. A lot of this is, exists in the subconscious where uh, we're not necessarily being intentional about these things, but we're, we're socialized. But we're we all bring it to the table. Are you saying, I mean, you bring your own biases Rodney brings we're his own, up. and so we all recognize that, but it's, a, it's bringing it up here to the right. front that we recognize that we've got it and look at it. And I think the numbers, if you focus on the achievement numbers and those things you just pointed out about representation, we can get to the truth, right? Right, right. But it requires us first being cognitive about it, being aware that we have these biases, all of us, and being honest and truthful about the ways that it manifests itself in our work, even when we're uh, perhaps trying hard not to. Uh, the fact is we're human beings. Uh, we're socialized in a certain way. And at the end of the day, we have to scrutinize and interrogate the data because it tells a story and the kids' educational opportunities at stake. Right. Is step one just recognizing that we have a problem? Absolutely. So I think in Wake, we have a three-prong approach to address implicit bias. I think the first prong of that is to make sure that people, the teachers, can see uh, implicit bias or see bias wherever it exists. Uh, we have a commitment to disaggregating data, uh, to doing classroom walkthroughs so that people can understand, particularly teachers and administrators can understand how race is lived differently uh, by students and you know throughout the district. Right, and 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 this is it's critical that we get to the get to this in education because this is where it all. I mean, this is the it is still the. Uh, 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 the path forward in terms of uh, careers, college, the American dream, if you will. Sure. Uh, we've got to get out of an education, right? Absolutely, because if you don't, I mean, the same sort of racial gaps that exist in every other system are going to prevail because this is the sort of launching pad. Because that's others. what we've really seen, um, Dr. Trice, is in, in our education. We, while we've seen academic achievement level, graduation rates were historic high, the, the, the achievement gap, which we sometimes also talk about, the, uh, the opportunity gap, yeah. is, is frankly, it's frustratingly still about the same. We're still seeing a much bigger gap between black and white students, right? Sure, we are. Um, and I, I prefer the term opportunity gap too. because, you know, students and families are differently situated when uh, entering school. And so these opportunity gaps in, in turn manifest themselves as achievement gaps when students uh, enter school. Uh, so in Wake, one of the things that, that we're doing is helping people understand uh, exactly what that means. Implicit bias, uh, racial equity work is a focus of ours, and it's important that uh, educators understand this work. Well, it's, it's important work that both of you are doing, and we appreciate you being here to, to bring you. it to our viewers, and we hope you'll come back sometime and we'll talk some more about it. It's not a one-show kind of story. After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight. Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we spotlight Jenna Warren. Jenna is the school counselor at Hilburn Academy, a unique pre-K through eighth grade Wake County public school. Jenna was just named the North Carolina School Counselor Association's School Counselor of the Year. Meet Jenna Warren. Leadership Spotlight is presented by the Burroughs Welcome Fund. 
advancing biomedical science by supporting research and education. I think students need to know that they have supports um, and that they don't have to figure everything out on their own. And even though I'm their school counselor, not their parent, not their teacher, I think just children hearing that they have people that believe in them really go a long way. At middle school, you don't so much see students just not getting along. There's a lot deeper issues that you want to try to help students through and help them feel like I have coping skills and I can get through this and um, that they're a good person, kind of build their confidence as well. As a school counselor, I try to connect the dots for them and help them see that the choices they're making now does impact their life later on. I can't say enough about her. She couldn't be a more supportive person to us or the kids, and she is so deserving of anything, any recognition she gets. Empathy is not a necessarily automatic gift. Uh, sometimes you have to be shown the, the right way to, to think about things from a different perspective. And I think that she does a good job in trying to bring that to our students. Times can be very difficult and a lot of times students come to school with a lot of things going on at home, just like as adults we do, but they don't have as many skills and coping strategies as, as we may have as adults. So where we're going to see the most growth in our students is when we really focus on what they want to improve on. And then they'll kind of let you in once you help them support in the way that they want to be supported, um, then we can, can grow in leaps and bounds, I think. If you know someone who deserves to be recognized, visit our website, ncforum.org, and click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. Over the last couple of months since the Public School Forum released the Educational Opportunity Study Group report that highlighted racial inequities in education, I've had the chance to speak in front of many groups about the subject of race and education. I have to be honest with you, it's not the easiest topic for a white guy from Eastern North Carolina to stand up and address. That's true regardless of the audience, but when it's a predominantly black audience, I've become acutely aware of my whiteness and the undeniable fact that anytime I walk in a room or to a job interview, or in a shopping mall, or a school, my experience is not the same as the audience members have, or these three accomplished gentlemen we had on the show today. I enjoy a certain amount of privilege in this society, a level of trust, a benefit of the doubt, if you will, that they don't, that their children don't. Children of color in schools across America today, right here in North Carolina, experience inequitable treatment and a persistent lack of opportunity every day. How else can we explain why black students starting as early as preschool are 40% more likely to be suspended than white students for the same offense? Or that black students and Latino students with the same test scores are significantly less likely to be placed in academically gifted programs than white students, but much more likely to be labeled as having learning disabilities? When I use these stats in my various talks, I look around the room for reaction. The black and brown faces almost all look the same, nodding, a look of resignation because they already knew it from their own experience and their children. But what gives me hope are the white faces in the room, the look of shock or disbelief and frankly in some cases disgust because I believe most people are decent and fair-minded when they are confronted with inequities like these. They know it's not right. That's how we get after it, by speaking up and having real talk. It's not comfortable, but I believe we all need to get more comfortable being uncomfortable. 
pointing out that these circumstances exist is not calling every teacher or principal a racist, but we do have to recognize that all of us bring the, to the table attitudes and biases we don't even recognize or understand. If we focus on the facts and on our shared values of equal opportunity for all children, I think we have a chance. We owe it to them to try. That's it for this week. Next week, we're going to talk about potential for major changes in how we fund public schools in North Carolina. You will not want to miss it. Thanks for watching and see you next week.